Welcome to Manager Tools. Retaining disgruntled staff as a new manager. Here we go. This cast answers these questions. How can I keep employees who are thinking about leaving? What should I do when I need someone to stay? How can a new manager motivate someone to stay? Well, if you want answers to these questions and more, keep listening. Okay, Mark, I'm a new manager. I'm worried. I'm worried. I'm worried about losing a staff member who's critical to my team. And they're a little disgruntled. What do I do? Yeah. I always wonder what the opposite of disgruntled was. I wonder if you're happy or gruntled. I don't know. Yeah. Ungruntled. It happens. You, You come into a team. You're put in charge of a team. And when we say new manager here, we don't mean that this is your first time managing, uh, although I suppose it could be, but rather you're new to this team and uh, the previous manager was removed, fired, and basically wasn't good at his or her job and messed things up. And now we have retention problems. We have performance problems. We've got a whole passel of things going on. And people ask us, you know, what do I do? How do I, how do I solve this problem? How do I keep from losing everybody and have it being blamed on me. So look, four recommendations here. First rule, generally, you want to move slowly despite what your boss says. This is a classic example of first rule for new managers. Second thing, you must be willing to talk directly to the key players, to the key people that you want to keep and ask them what can be done. It's not a stealth mission. Okay. Three, don't be afraid to express disappointment. Don't be afraid to acknowledge that what they've been through is hard. And don't be afraid to communicate your resolve to solve things as best you can. Don't promise them the moon. Don't say you're guaranteeing you're to fix everything. But some resolve would, would go a long way in the beginning. And then lastly, because you're a smart person, you would also start talking to HR about recruiting, because if in fact you're going to lose people, there's no sense in feeling like you're losing them for three months and not doing anything to gin up the recruiting engine. Yeah. Hope for the best, plan for the worst, right? Yep. Okay. Let's talk about your first point, generally moving slowly. For those folks who listen to us for a long time, the idea of new managers in any new managerial role moving slowly cannot be a surprise. Now, it's our guidance for all new managers beginning any team, whether you're an experienced manager or not, frankly, if you're new to the team, move slowly. We we have a podcast, The First Rule of New Managers, and that is to go slow, to take your time. And the reason we get this question, which this cast is about, you know, what do I do in this situation, right? Surely that guidance is wrong. No, that's not true. This is not a situation where the fundamental principle of going slow, building relationships, getting to know your people is overruled in any way. We're going to add some things. We're going to tell you exactly what to say to people and why to say it and so on. But, you know, senior bosses who say to you, go down there and fix it. You know, you've got you, you probably have 30 days before that team is gone. They're not going to be the one holding the bag when you burn all your bridges with your directs. Look. No matter who stays or goes on this team you've taken over, whomever is there on your team are the ones who are going to be carrying the water for you in the days, months, and years ahead. If you move too quickly, in the beginning, in the first 90 days or so, really what you have to work with is role power. You won't have had time to build the necessary 
trusting relationships that are really at the heart of why people follow other people. It's kind of the difference between managers and leaders. And if some of your directs are a bit resistant, you won't get anything done at the beginning. And if you push too hard, you not only won't be able to get anything done at the beginning, they won't carry your water later. You won't be able to get anything done at the end. If you don't get to form those trusting bonds, it's like a lose-lose situation. The common guidance from executives, from skip-level bosses and so on, is get down there and fix it. And what too many young managers do is this. They think they can go in there and get away with saying, no, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. Nope, we're doing that. And, you know, I'm, I'm a tape charge kind of guy. And, and look, there are movies like that. The issue is that senior executive or that executive or your boss, whoever's handpicked you to go down there and fix this. And if a team's in trouble, you're getting a tip of the cap. The fact that you're being asked to do it is, hey, we think you can do this, which is not an easy situation. Essentially, when they do that to you, what they mean is you have carte blanche to change what you need to change about processes and systems and so on to help this team become effective. They've given you a little bit more of an open checkbook, but that doesn't change how people interact with one another. The people thing is by definition going to be slow. So go down there and, you know, shake things up a bit. Really what they mean is, hey, I'll support you if you need to make some big changes. On the other hand, they don't mean you can make those changes without my approval. You need to keep me posted. Uh, you need to be smart about your people and so on. And the mistake people make is they, they, they approach the quickness, the let's make some things happen right away, both on the system and process side and on the people side. And the people side just burns them. I've seen this so many times. I remember one particular manager who took over an organization, I wouldn't say in crisis, but an organization that was having difficulties. And she decided that she was going to go and she's a high D for those familiar with DISC, you know, go get them, take charge. High D, nothing else, by the way, <laughs> not a people person. <laughs> and she decided that she was just going to change things by sheer force of will. And she didn't. And as a matter of fact, she not only didn't change things, that she had so damaged relationships in the team with her with her team members that she could not recover. She had to leave. She she had a terrible, terrible six months, and it was so damaged that we had to move her into a, a different role, <laughs> along with some coaching and development. So yeah. we always say, like, with, with people, go slow to go fast. Exactly. That's always the rule about people. So the first rule still applies, folks. Um, go slow. If your boss says you've got to move quickly, we can't lose those people. Oh, dear God. Go as slowly as you can without irritating your boss too much. Tell your boss your plan. Keep him or her well posted. You know, why aren't you changing things? Well, I'm getting to know them. I'm hearing good things. I'm feeling good about where I am with them. If I change everything, I don't know enough to change everything yet. And they know more than me. And I can tell there's a lot of animosity, boss, and so I'm just going to be a little bit careful. Now, look, guys, after 90 days, you're going to know enough, and you'll be able to make changes before that, but they won't be big changes, and big changes require everybody pitching in, and in the first 90 days, it's unlikely that everybody's going to be pitching if they've been through a, a, a difficult time. Yep. Okay, and our second, second point is talking directly to key players and asking 
what can be done, right? I mean, and going, you know, going slow means talking a lot to your directs. And when I say talk a lot, what I really mean is ask a bunch of questions and listen and listen a lot more than you're talking, right? Yeah, this was one of the first times that I can remember in my consulting career an incident where I made a significant difference. There weren't that many of these, but I remember this one because I was fairly new and some executive that I was working with, I want to say it was applied materials, frankly, but nevertheless, I was asked to help a manager that was in this situation. I went down, sat down with him uh, one morning and said, hey, tell me what's going on. He goes, you know, I'm doing this and this and this and this and this and this. I said, I mean, you know these guys well? He says, no, not really, but my boss said I have to come down here and do all this stuff, whatever. And I said, no, you can't do this. No, no, that won't work. It won't work. Now, this guy's an engineer. His people are engineers. He says, you know, the people thing doesn't really matter. And I said, no, you have to stop. And it took me probably 45 minutes to convince him that I was right and to tell him several times during the conversation, I said, I bet this is happening to you, isn't it? He says, yeah, how'd you know that? And I said, I bet this is happening to you. Yeah, how'd you know that? I said, I'm telling you, you're literally running the opposite playbook of what you're supposed to. And I said, look, give me two or three days and let's engage in some different behaviors. And in fact, that was the beginning of when I started used to give, I used to give clients finger puzzles, the little woven bamboo things that you stick your fingers in either end. And when you pull real hard, you can't get your fingers out. Mm-hmm. Um, as a reminder that sometimes going slow and having a less direct, a less forceful approach when you're in management or certainly in executive roles is effective. You know, don't enact a lot of new policies that are around the issues that caused the problem with the previous manager or with this team. If you do that right in the beginning, because you don't know enough to do that, that'll be seen as closing the barn door after the horse already left. Now, look, when we say don't change anything, we don't, we, actually, we don't say don't change anything, but please don't read into our guidance here, don't change anything. You can start having a staff meeting if there isn't one. You can start doing one-on-ones. You can ask every process owner, let's say there's such a thing on your team, ask every process owner for a two to three hour briefing in which he or she walks you through the fundamental principles, the measures, uh, the history, the plans for improvement, and so on. That's not a change. That's a normal dialogue with a new manager getting somebody up to speed. When a new CEO comes in, she often goes to every division and she's there for the day. And there's a dog and pony show all day where, you know, six, seven, eight senior VPs are presenting to the the new CEO on their particular division. You can also start reviewing policies, but, you know, you're only at this point reviewing them. Just tell people you want to look at it. You want to talk about it. Tell them, I'm not going to do anything yet. I don't know enough yet. Okay. You know, I would hate it for somebody who doesn't know what I do to come down here and act like they can just make wholesale changes because they're just so smart. Right. And folks, they know that you don't know anything yet. Right. But they, they'd like to hear from you that you know that. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? If you tell them, look, I don't know anything yet. I'm taking my time. I'm going to go slow. Any speed you go is probably going to be too fast. But you can tell them, I don't know a lot yet. And then when you start doing one-on-ones, let's say the previous manager wasn't doing one-on-ones, they're going to say, wow, he actually knows something that, that these one-on-ones are actually good. I get a chance to tell him what's on my mind and so on. Or 
hey, we're going to start doing staff meetings a little bit different. I hope it works out. And suddenly you hit another home run, for instance. And they're going to start saying, wow, this guy says he doesn't know anything, but he does. Now they're going to start begging you. Not No, they won't beg. They'll start asking you for more input. They'll start asking you to be more involved. Why? Because they've learned to trust you because you have done a few things, but all of the things that you have done – the small changes you have made have all been useful and effective. Now you're seen as competent, useful, and humble. Yeah. And then you get some credibility when you suggest something bigger, right? Yeah, exactly. So what you can do separate separate from instituting one-on-ones, you can schedule time with each team member individually to get to know them, to understand their work, learn about their feelings, about what happened during the whatever happened. And what retention risk there might be. Look, this is where you ask them directly. You could tell them, look, guys, the first thing I want to do is get to know you guys. I'd like to sit down with each one of you. We'll do an hour. And if we need more time, you can have as many hours as you need. We still got to get some work done around here. And I'm going to sit down with you and I'm going to ask you a lot of dumb questions. And you've probably been asked them before. You know, if HR was involved, they'd probably been asked them before as well. But hey, I'm here and I want to get to know you and I want to understand what happened. So, you know, don't be afraid to ask directly, should I be worried about your leaving? Hey, look, you went through a rough time. You know, we didn't treat you well. Should I be worried about you leaving, right? What should we be doing differently? What can I do to help us be more effective? Don't shy away to responding to some requests with, uh, if somebody says, well, here's what you need to do. You say, well, I, pretty sure I can't do that, but I hear your concern. I'll keep it in mind. And what I could do is this. In the beginning, it's not your job to defend the company. It's your job to try to keep the team together and to get them back in a productive mode. And in my experience, you know, when somebody asks for something really big, a ridiculous example, you know, give us four days off a week or some crazy thing, right? But if they ask for something big that you can't do, and you're honest, you say, I can't do that. Then you turn around and do something, just something that moves in that direction, you get a lot of credit. Yeah. Plus, when somebody when somebody asks for something like that, they know you can't do it, and they're just sticking their finger in your eye. And when you say, you know what, when you stick your finger in my eye, I'm, I'm not going to jump and respond to that. I'm not going to punish you for being a jerk or whatever. I'm being sensitive to the fact that you went through a rough time. Now, look, I'm, I'm not going to be sensitive for five years. You know, generally speaking, even if your boss – was terrible there was some stuff that could have happened on both sides uh, of the coin and so i'm i'm aware of that too but yeah if your gut tells you you can't do something you probably can't do it and you can make some small changes and start asking and it'll make a difference look don't be afraid to acknowledge that them leaving would be a reasonable response to what's happened it'd be okay to say something like hey I can understand why you'd be thinking about looking around. Things haven't gone well. uh, And we, the organization, we should have seen this coming and been more involved more quickly. I hope you won't leave. That's part of the reason I'm here is to, to keep you. But, dude, I can understand why you'd consider it. Now, I told somebody this a while ago, and they said, oh, I couldn't do that. This person was talking to me, and every single thing I told them to do, 
their counter to it was, no, 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 your people will leave, go back, tell their friends on the team, and their friends will say, oh, he means this or he means that. There's nothing you can do about that, and, and uh, you can't fix stupid. But I generally feel that that's not the case, and I'm not going to sit there and not do things because of how my words might get twisted by somebody who's not very smart a level down from me. Yeah, you'll never do anything, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. So this isn't encouraging people to leave, okay? It's candor, and that's part of trust building. If you've assumed that some of the people on the team are thinking about leaving, you not mentioning it makes it the elephant in the room. You not mentioning it means we, we, we don't talk about that. And now you're not being trusting. You're not being open. They know they're thinking about leaving. They know you know you're thinking, they're thinking about leaving. And how do they know you know? You won't talk about it. It's like, by the way, there's, you know, there's a big mess over in the corner. Oh, I, I didn't notice. Oh, come on. You notice the big mess in the ever you, you couldn't walk into this room and not notice it, and then you act as if it isn't there. By definition, that proves that you know it's there and you've chosen not to talk about it. So don't be afraid of it. Go right to the heart of the matter and say, Look, I would understand. There's nothing wrong with saying, Look, I get it. You've been treated poorly. If you decide to go, it'll hurt us. You know you're important. But if it's right for you, it's right for you. I just hope you'd let me know of your plans as soon as you can. If you say that candidly, that is the only way in a, in a difficult situation like this that you're going to get any advance notice at all. Because there are people who want to leave. They're, they're willing to leave in a huff. And part of leaving in a huff is leaving the existing manager in a bit of a jackpot. And the only way around that is to tell them, hey, I get it. Yeah. It's the big elephant in the room, right? And they don't just assume that you know about it, right? Just just assume that you're not <laughs> you're not stupid. They don't assume you don't know about it. They just assume you know about it and you're not willing to talk about it. But even worse is because you won't talk about it, they assume you're not going to do anything about it. Yeah. There lies the problem, right? So, you know, if there's no light at the end of the tunnel, your chances of losing good people have gone up. Yeah. They not only assume you're not going to do anything about it. They assume you can't because you have power by definition and you know that there's something going on and you know, they can tell you're not talking about it. Well, why wouldn't you talk about it if it was something you could do something about? So you prove by not talking about it that you don't have power, which is not true or good. So don't be afraid to be candid about your desire to keep the team together, fix what needs to be fixed and get busy accomplishing the mission. As a general rule, these conversations need to happen individually. You don't have to have an open airing of grievances for four hours in a Friday afternoon staff meeting where people just sit around and complain and say, well, I'll let them let their air out of the, you know, the air out of the balloon. That doesn't happen. Somebody who comes in who isn't all that spun up suddenly listens to everybody else and they get spun up. You talk to them individually. And generally speaking, if you're in a staff meeting, if you're in a meeting and somebody brings up something that happened before with a bit of negativity, you could say, look, I hear you on that, but let's keep to the agenda. You know, I mentioned staff meetings. And I mentioned one-on-ones before. This is a good time to have agendas and to say, hey, guys, I get it. When somebody starts complaining about something that happened three months ago, guys, I get it. And there's a time and place for that. Um, let's not do it now. Let's stick to the agenda. And by the way, They'll forgive you for that. They'll be okay with that. But if you do that and then you don't give them time to talk to you individually, 
Now you have a real problem. I've always found it terribly problematic to have these kind of gripe sessions in public with a whole group of people because you know what it does? It becomes a performance. Everybody's performing. You're performing. <laughs> your, yeah. your team members are performing. They're trying to impress each other. They're trying to support each other. And I talked to one person after one of these meetings very early in my career, and he admitted that, you know, he really didn't feel all that strongly about the issue, yet he felt if he didn't jump up and support his teammate, that he was going to put him in an awkward social position with his uh, teammates. It's like, hmm. So, yeah, yeah, individual conversations work a lot better. Okay, now, our next piece of guidance is express disappointment and resolve. Now, to be clear, guys, just because this guidance comes after the part where we tell you to talk directly to your team players, team members, and tell them what you could be done and so on. We're not suggesting you should talk to them first and then afterwards tell them you're sorry about where they are, okay? We just thought it would be weird to talk about express disappointment resolve before we told you to start talking to them. We're recommending that when you talk to your team, don't be afraid to tell them you're sorry that the situation is what it is. Don't shy away from saying, I can understand why you're feeling mistreated not represented, not respected, and not led, not well-managed. Don't be afraid to say these things. Don't be afraid to take responsibility. Your point at the end about don't be afraid to tell them, for example, not not being well-managed. What Mark is not saying is that you sit there and then talk about all the sins of the previous manager. That's not what you're doing. Yeah. You do what Mark said after that, which is be willing to take responsibility for the way things are. Yeah. Thank you for that clarification. And look, while you're the company's representative to the team, that's what role power is, by the way, you also know that a trusting relationship is the best way to get results and to keep people. There's nothing wrong with saying true things that aren't venomous, say, against previous people or so on, but it would be okay to say, you're right, that shouldn't have happened. And I have to tell you, in today's world, as hard as people work to cover up the person who says, you know what, that didn't go well, I take responsibility, I'm sorry, I wasn't here, but I'm the one that's here, I wasn't here at the time, I'm here now, um, it's okay to share those kind of things with me, and you're right, we were wrong, and I'm here to fix it. Yeah, after saying that statement, don't go on to list all the things, uh, 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 why it happened, and why it wasn't your fault, <laughs> please don't do that. Yeah, well, if you're reasonably competent and humble, and you keep a low profile, you don't have to tell them you weren't there. They're going to see you as different than what happened before, and they'll start trusting you separate from your role, which would cause them to not be trusting of anybody. Look, you don't have to cover for the previous boss because, hey, the company protects its own, or you know, you can't really speak that way about leaders or managers or whatever. You don't have to avoid the topic of what happened. You don't have to put it behind us by ignoring how people feel about it. Yeah, look, there's a statute of limitations on these things, but interestingly, the timeline until you can say, hey, look, you know, that was X weeks ago, X months ago, let's, let's try to stay in the present. That time will, timeline will be shortened a lot when you're actively seeking out the topic and discussing it. If you put the past off limits, so to speak, you're going to encourage people to talk privately. The feelings will fester. They won't be talking to anybody who can fix anything. All they'll be doing is reliving the old stuff rather than talking about what we can do going forward. And by the way, if you act as if there's no 
talking about it at all, you're telling the team you don't care about what's important to home. So it's okay to ask these questions, to express your disappointment, to express your regret, and to also express your resolve. You might find that our guidance on feel, felt, found would be helpful, which sounds a little bit like, I understand how you feel. I've been in similar situations, maybe not this bad. I think I know how you feel. I've felt that way too. And frankly, maybe what you found is one bad manager isn't a reason to make a major career move and making a move out of anger or frustration about events that will pass probably isn't the best way to go. And, you know, I I should say this as well. When we talk about candor and we talk about resolve, we mean that it's okay to say to your directs, I really don't think you should leave now. It's okay to say it's your call. We already said that. But you can also go on and say, it's your call. And if you leave, I would understand why you would leave. There's, that was a pretty big miss we had there. That didn't go well. Or, wow, we're all embarrassed by how that turned out. And I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you, now is not the time to be making a change. Okay? Maybe your bonus will be less than it was a year before, but there's still going to be a bonus. Don't leave out of peak and lose something that would that you've essentially already earned. Or, you know, if you leave now, you're going to spend Christmas at home without a job, and that's going to weigh on you and your family. Um, trust me, I've seen it happen to people. You know, if you leave now, you're leaving right dead in the middle of college graduate hiring season. And let's say somebody's only a year out of college you might want to wait a little bit longer. Now, those reasons all may not be enough, but you do have a responsibility as a fellow human being. If one of your people is going to make a bad decision, there's nothing wrong with telling them, hey, that's a bad decision. Now, what some people say is, oh, no, no, you're just doing, you're just telling them that because of the company. No, just because it serves my purpose doesn't mean it isn't true. Okay. Now, I've also said things that serve your purpose. I would understand why you'd leave. This is part of being a trusted counterparty, somebody who your team can count on to be truthful, to be honest, and not just to be one-sided. So don't be afraid to say, look, I understand it, and maybe now's not a good time. Or, gosh, what are you going to say when somebody asks you why you're leaving? Are you going to say because you had a bad manager? Guess what they're going to ask next? Well, tell me what happened. And now part of your interview where you're trying to convince them of how good you are is telling them how bad your previous manager was. Total downer in an interview. You'd have to avoid that. So make sure that you're not just leaving us, but you're going somewhere else and you're not just running away. Look, I'm sure you can get a job. That's no question about that. But again, you'll also be losing all of your goodwill here. When you go to a new place, you know, the market's not as hot today as it was three years ago when you joined, um, so you probably won't get the bump in salary, and you'll have lost all the goodwill you've built up here. And I hate to say it, but there are times when you end up with a bad manager somewhere else. Look, if you need to go, you need to go. I get that. And just be careful, uh, you know, as Hill Street Blues used to say, let's be careful out there. Good. Despite all that things can go south occasionally and you may you may lose him or her right and best be prepared yeah um my feeling on this is i have 
two responsibilities, uh, results and retention. My interest in retention is not so all-powerful that I can say I will keep them no matter what, and only when they leave will I actually start thinking about recruiting. We talk all the time about how when somebody's thinking about leaving or even when the team's running well, we think about building people's bench, right? We think about having people out there that we'd be willing to talk to. That's somebody outside the organization that we could hire if we needed to, if we need to hire a new person because we're growing or whatever. So doing that, having a bench, thinking about recruiting is not antithetical to retention. It is simply smart, effective use of one's resources. If you're going to lose someone, and even if you don't know whether you are or you aren't, while you're trying to keep them, you need to quietly do what you can to start recruiting replacements. And this is not something you need to talk about with the team. But that said, if somebody says, hey, I noticed you've been talking to HR, are you recruiting? And I'd say, no, I'm not. Look, don't lie. Say, no, I'm not. But I am talking to HR. Look, I, I can't help it. I see you guys. I see what you went through. Two or three of you have told me you can't imagine staying here. If somebody tells me you can't imagine staying here, I imagine that's a pretty good chance that they're going to leave. Now, do I want you to stay? Yes. Do I think I can be a good boss to you? Yes. Do I think we can move past what happened? Yes. Would it be in your best interest for some of you in your mind to leave? Yes. If I know that and I'm not thinking about recruiting or trying to replace you, and by the way, in some ways you're not replaceable because of the amount of time you've spent here and so on, I'm not doing my job. And I think you do the same thing in, in, in my situation as well. So the old saying is trust in God, but keep your powder dry, meaning maybe God's the one that'll decide the the battle, but that doesn't mean we don't have to do the things we need to do to influence the battle. And in this case, if it takes 60 days for somebody to get a new job, while they're looking for 60 days, you can be thinking about your recruiting process for 60 days. And if the risk of loss isn't negligible, there's a bunch of pre-work that you have to do. There's approvals you may have to get. There's resumes you need to get. There's screening you need to do or HR needs to do. There's HR screens. There's phone screens that can all be done. This isn't disrespectful of your team. It's respectful of the company. And if somebody said to me, well, I can't, you know, I can't believe you're recruiting. You know, it's like, geez, wait until the corpse is cold. Say, you know, look, I want you to stay. I've told you a hundred times. My door is always open. I care about what happens to you. I would think that I've earned the right to say, I hope you'll care about what happens to me. And this is just me doing what's necessary. I don't want you to go. Tell me you'll stay. Give me your word you'll stay, and I'll stop all of it. And if you can't do that, you know, give me a break. If I've shown you I care about you. I hope you care about me. If you care about me, you know I got to do something because the hiring process here at this company is so slow. I just need to be prepared. And I'd be happy to get rid of all of it if I knew you were sticking around because I think we can make something out of this. Yeah. And, you know, it occurs to me, Mike, it's not in the, it's not in the show notes, but um, I really do think it is your job to be optimistic here. Now, most people's emotional state is not in their job description. But I think you can either wallow in the past and talk about it and talk about it and talk about it, was a, which is a pessimistic point because there's nothing you do about the past. Or you can talk about an optimistic future. Hey, I really believe we're going to turn this corner. And it may take longer than we want, 
but I'm here. I'm going to do my best. My door is open. I believe you guys have capabilities that are going to make it successful. And I'm willing to work real hard to achieve it. And that kind of optimism was probably lacking when things went south for whatever reason they went south two, three, six months ago. I wish there was a magic pull in terms of changing the way people think and their outlook on life. And we, we don't often talk about that stuff. It's about behavior. So regardless of how you feel internally, just trust us. The more optimistic you are with your team, the more optimistic behaviors that you engage in, the more effective you're going to be. Nobody wants to be around a downer, right? Nobody wants to be aboard a, sh- a sinking ship. Yeah. Or be on a ship that isn't sinking, but having somebody saying, we're sinking, we're sinking, we're sinking. Yeah. The captain's sitting there going, oh, this is, this is terrible. I'm too- <laughs> Yeah, I think that's that's a movie trope, right? The leader goes through a crisis and he turns to his number two or her number two and says, we're not going to make it. It's going to be terrible. You know, somebody slaps him in the face. Everything changes. Exactly. Snap out of it. Yes, exactly. So summarizing, guys, if you take over a team and it's been damaged in some way and you've got some retention risks in the very beginning in your first days, take it slow, no matter what people are telling you. Don't be afraid to address the issue of retention directly. Be willing to express regret and concern about where people are. Avoiding the topic topic makes it worse and, and frankly suggests you don't care. And then keep your powder dry. You probably need to make sure HR understands that you may need to recruit and there may need to be some quiet things done in advance to prepare for that uh, potential situation. Awesome. All right, my friend. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks, partner. All right, man. We'll see you. Thanks, everyone. That's it for this week. We'll see you next week. Have a great one. So long.